It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights, and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Hi, everyone. I'm Emily Chang, and this is the Bloomberg Studio 1.0 podcast, a series where I speak with the biggest influencers in technology and media. Over the last decade, I've had in-depth conversations with the very people shaping the future of business, of our world, sharing their vision for what comes next. Today, we take a deep dive into all things crypto as we speak to a true crypto OG. Not long after Bitcoin was born, Fred Ursum became an analyst at Goldman Sachs. The new, mysterious digital currency had been invented by Satoshi Nakamoto, a pseudonym for a person or group that wanted to circumvent the traditional banking system. On a good day, the price was mere cents, and almost no one knew what it was. But Ursum saw the potential. He bought in, as much as he could, and found himself obsessively checking early cryptocurrency exchange Mt. Gox and scouring Reddit threads where he met another Bitcoin enthusiast, Brian Armstrong. As Mt. Gox was hacked and going bankrupt, Armstrong and Ursum were building Coinbase, which would become the most mainstream place to buy, sell, and store cryptocurrency in the United States. In the span of a little more than a decade, the crypto market went from zero to more than $2 trillion, with some euphoric highs and gut-wrenching lows in between. Joining me on this edition of Bloomberg Studio 1.0 to talk about that wild ride and where it's going next, co-founder of Coinbase and the crypto investment firm Paradigm, Fred Ursum. Take me to the very beginning of your crypto journey when you were an analyst at Goldman Sachs. What was it that drove you to this emerging technology? Geez, I think I was lucky because I had three core ingredients to understand crypto. One was I was a computer scientist and engineer by training. Uh, the second is at Goldman, I was trading FX, specifically the euro, and watching the European death crisis unfold every day, watching the IMF give the next tranche of bailouts to Greece, seeing how the euro would trade on that, thinking, hey, maybe this isn't working so well. And the last is I was a hardcore gamer in high school. I was on the best team in the world at a video game lived in these virtual worlds that had virtual currency all the time. So that idea was pretty natural to me. Um, and this was right around the time that Bitcoin came out on the internet around 2010, 2011. Uh, and nights and weekends, I would just spend my time getting further and further into it. Tell us about the moment when you realized that this crypto thing was really something when the world and your friends probably had no idea what was going on or thought you were crazy. Well, when we launched Coinbase in 2012 out of a two-bedroom apartment in San Francisco, it did seem like a crazy idea at the time. You walk down the street, nobody would know what Bitcoin was. Those people who knew about it probably thought it was nuts. Um, the literal advertisement, even on the Bitcoin subreddit at the time, was a bad Microsoft paint uh, painting of a wizard that said magical internet money. 
Um, so very, very non-obvious at the time. The thing, though, that really stood out is the community was extremely strong, even though it was small. Um, and if you looked at the early Coinbase numbers, things grew really well, especially when we added the simple feature just to buy and sell Bitcoin with any U.S. bank account with one click. Um, so while it seemed crazy to most outsiders at the time, it was clearly growing on the inside. And I think that's even true in crypto today. On some level, you have um, these kind of radical believers on the inside and then many people on the outside who might still be touching the elephant, still trying to figure out exactly what's going on here. How did you meet Brian Armstrong, co-founder of Coinbase, and what did you two set out to do? Um, well, like any great uh, crypto venture, it started decentralized in some sense. We met on Reddit, on the Bitcoin subreddit. Uh, he posted a prototype of an early version of Coinbase, and I emailed him. We met up at the now infamous Creamery in San Francisco, which is sort of the like, back in 2012 was the place where everybody would, would do meetings. Um, started working together 15 hours a day for four weeks, weekends included. It turned out we both really cared about building something in crypto that allowed the whole thing to go mainstream. And at the time, were you bought in? Like, had you invested your own money into this magical internet money, not knowing what would happen? Yeah, I was fully bought in both financially and career-wise. Um, I quit my job at Goldman um, and moved out to the West Coast, not even having a place to live. Um, obviously started working on Coinbase and then financially, I didn't have very much money, but the little money I did have, um, I invested in Bitcoin. And it's funny, the most expensive thing I own today is still a car I bought in 2012. I bought it for $19,000. Um, at the time, Bitcoin was about $10. So in opportunity cost terms, that's about a $50 million car. I still love the car, but just to give a sense for... Uh, how expensive real-world goods are in Bitcoin terms over time. You were at Coinbase, co-founder, until 2017. Um, you were president, I believe, at the time, and then you left. Why did you leave? Um, a couple of reasons. One, I felt like the company was just in a very good spot. The second is, for much of crypto's history, so from 2010 when Bitcoin sort of came out, 2009, up until 2017, really the only idea that seemed possible in crypto was this idea that it was a new global digital money. Um, and the thing that really changed in 2017 is all of a sudden the doors opened to much broader applications. Ethereum came on the scene and showed that blockchain-based applications were possible to build and people were building very early versions of them. Today, we know those things better as DeFi or these decentralized financial applications that live on the blockchain. And even more broadly, I think over time, we'll see mainstream consumer apps and perhaps NFTs are a weird bleeding edge of exactly that. Um, so I found that that whole new frontier to be extremely exciting. Coinbase's direct listing, it's now a public company, was a huge moment for mainstream institutional adoption. But it still seems like so much of the world doesn't get crypto and how big it can be. What do you think they're missing? <laughs> the short answer is a lot. Um, 
I think, look, crypto is its own rabbit hole. Um, and just like any new powerful technology, it's extremely powerful because it reimagines very important systems that run the world today from the ground up. Um, most people primarily think about crypto, again, as a new digital money. Um, that's really worked especially with Bitcoin as a store of value, where we've seen Bitcoin go from zero to a trillion dollars in market capitalization over the last 10 years. Uh, but crypto goes much deeper than that. We think about crypto at Paradigm, which is uh, the investment firm I've started along with Matt Huang in three stages today. And of course, this model will evolve over time. The first is a new digital money. The second is a new financial system. And the third is just a broad... Uh, internet application platform. Um, so in our minds, crypto isn't just kind of this new digital money or new digital gold. Um, it's a whole new financial system that we're seeing uh, being built from the ground up by talented entrepreneurs all around the world. And while it's extremely early on the third frontier, a new application platform, uh, we think that over over the course of decades, a lot of internet applications that we're all using will also be crypto-based. I've talked to investors who say Coinbase could be the next AOL. It's the first exchange that's you know, really gone mainstream, but it's too early and others will, or something else will surpass it. What do you think? Uh, I think it's a fair question. I think uh, history is yet to be written. Um, my view is that it's a very strong place to be to have the largest mainstream brand trust um, not only with users, but also with regulators. Um, and that being that bridge into the crypto world is a great place to start. Now, as you mentioned, you now run a crypto-focused investment firm called Paradigm. How is the crypto style of venture capital different from traditional venture capital? Yeah. Um, well, I think in a few ways, um, just to to talk about why we started Paradigm in the first place, myself and Matt Wong, who was previously a partner at Sequoia, focused and running their crypto investing efforts. Um, we, we realized a couple of things. One, crypto is a whole new field that needs 100% focus. Two, the core question that Matt and I asked ourselves in starting the firm is, is there anybody out there um, who, if we were crypto entrepreneurs building a business, and Matt was a former Y Combinator uh, startup founder, I obviously started a, a large crypto company in Coinbase, who would we want to have as our first backers? And we couldn't really come up with a good answer to that question. Um, the last is, uh, I think the expertise required both on the team and operationally in crypto is very different. So we're really trying to build a firm uh, from an engineering and entrepreneurial point of view to best support these crypto native uh, companies and protocols. The crypto VC landscape is getting now more competitive. So where are you placing your bets? How do you stay ahead of the curve? The thing we're really excited about is uh, a number of fronts. One is the picks and shovels businesses. Um, so now that crypto has grown a lot, there are all sorts of basic infrastructure businesses that are being built out to support that ecosystem. Those, of course, include exchanges, also custodians, tax providers, KYC AML providers, lenders, 
uh, crypto backend as a service for any business that would like to integrate crypto, all sorts of these picks and shovels businesses. A second big frontier, as we talked about before, is DeFi. All of these crypto native financial building blocks uh, that are being built out um, and today support around $75 billion in user assets up from effectively zero three years ago. Um, and this is sort of the bleeding edge of what we see as a whole series of crypto native applications. This is my conversation with the co-founder of Coinbase and the crypto investment firm Paradigm, Fred Urso. Coming up, President Biden's SEC has made it clear that crypto regulation is coming. How does Ursum expect that to change the crypto landscape? And with thousands of cryptocurrencies out there, how many is too many? And we have to ask, is Dogecoin a hustle? I'm Emily Chang. This is Bloomberg Studio 1.0. Stay with us. There were something like 4,000 cryptocurrencies at the start of the year. I mean, is that too many? Do you expect more? It's just like the internet. Um, people are going to try all sorts of things. There'll be millions and millions of, of cryptocurrencies and crypto assets, just like there were millions and millions of websites. Most of them won't work, um, especially early in the technology. There's a lot of dedicated communities out there and a lot of tribalism. Is that a good thing? It, it's an interesting question. Um, I think every new powerful technology tends to feel very polarizing at the beginning. Um, so I think some level of tribalism is inevitable. Uh, at Paradigm, we think that we're super early in this technology. So getting too caught up in any singular view or belief or paradigm, no pun intended, um, is probably unwise. What do you think about Doge? Is it a hustle or do you give it more credit than that? I think, um, well, perhaps framing it from Elon's point of view, and it's always dangerous to guess what's going on in the mind of Elon, of course. If crypto has taught us anything, it's never to dismiss a good meme that could later manifest into um, more concrete progress. Um, I, I tend to think there's less of that on the ground today. More holistically, I think whether it's Doge or more the NFT phenomenon, I do like that there are, um, there are a lot of things recently that I think have just brought crypto to a much more mainstream awareness and audience. One joke we often tell is... Um, NFTs made it really obvious that most crypto insiders sort of were nerds that tended to care a lot about monetary theory or the intricacies of the financial system. And what NFTs really showed us is that um, a lot more people, it turns out, care about culture, music, art. Basically, everybody does. Um, and that that's been a huge boon just for, for public awareness of what the technology can do. Okay, but hasn't the NFT market kind of imploded over the last few weeks? I mean, sales in almost every category are drying up. Like, what's happening there? Yeah, volume's definitely down. And again, I think that's natural, just like the cycles in crypto are. Um, I go so far as to say that 
90% of NFTs produced today probably will have little to no value in three to five years. You could say the same thing about early internet companies in the late 90s too, though. Um, it's sort of inevitable in a new technology that people are going to try a bunch of stuff. Most of it won't work at the beginning, but the technology itself is really important and really valuable over the long run. And there will be a few things that end up being fundamental building blocks that really do matter. I want to talk about regulation because the U.S. government has yet to really take a stand on crypto. But President Biden's SEC has made it clear that some sort of stand is coming. What kind of regulation do you expect? So I think the U.S. is at a very important crossroads with crypto today. The U.S. is blessed with the best currency and the world's reserve currency today. Um, it also tends to be the de facto financial regulator for a whole bunch of the world. We also have a history of uh, being the strongest technology country in the world. If you look at the most valuable companies in the world today, most of them are American internet technology companies, the Googles, the Microsofts, the Facebooks. I do think uh, that crypto is a nuanced issue um, and that it's possible the U.S. gets crypto wrong. Um, I think today you have a lot of regulators whose job it is to mitigate risk and keep us all safe. And that's that's very appropriate. Um, at the same time, I think crypto is the next Internet sized opportunity for the United States. I think it has the, the potential to create as many, if not more jobs in the Internet, similar with economic growth. Um, I think it has the potential to square the circle on the privacy Internet issues that we've been talking about with big tech companies for the last 10 years. Namely, we could use these technologies um, to continue to own our own data while still getting all the benefits of the Internet platforms we know and love today. China is taking a stand on crypto for better or for worse, and that's also where most of the mining is happening. Do you have concerns that China is going to beat the U.S. in crypto and that that's kind of a big deal. Candidly, yes. And it's on multiple fronts, to your point. One is um, there are government programs to explicitly build using crypto. This is true both with their DCEP initiative, which is basically ma making a digital renminbi. It's also true of local governments who are trying to use blockchain technology. Um, and then to your point, historically, most crypto mining has been in China. Recently, there was actually a government crackdown in China um, on mining, oftentimes because energy was being siphoned from the Chinese grid in ways that may or may not have been kosher. Um, so I think there's actually a huge moment of opportunity today uh, for miners in the United States or globally to, uh, to step in and on the crypto side to make it more decentralized um, and then if you want to view it from a nation state point of view to to make sure that no single country is is in control. You're listening to my conversation with Fred Ursum, co-founder of Coinbase and Paradigm. Up next, the big promise of crypto is that it's the next so-called iteration of the Internet. But how long until we get there? And we bust the biggest cryptocurrency myths Spoiler alert, it's not all about speculation. I'm Emily Chang. This is Bloomberg Studio 1.0. Stay with us.
countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. There are folks out there who think crypto is a gimmick or a Ponzi scheme or an unsafe hedge against inflation. What do you think are the biggest myths about crypto that you want to bust? Oh, geez. So many good ones. Um, well, perhaps number one, that crypto is all about speculation. Um, I think all investment can be framed on some spectrum from, it, from speculation to extremely long-term holding. And I think as people get more comfortable with the idea of crypto and why it uh, is a superior money and store of value across all these different dimensions of money, whether it's scarcity, portability, divisibility, um, that people are viewing it as a more long-term holding, in addition to the fact that there is real utility for crypto being built today, all these financial services and new internet applications. A second big one, of course, is energy. Um, this is one of the hot topics, no pun intended, uh, around crypto today. My meta view of the issue is that it takes far more energy and resources uh, to protect and use physical assets than it does digital ones. So does that mean you think the energy concerns raised by Bill Gates and even Elon Musk are a red herring? I think they should examine the issue more closely. Um, and I think the industry hasn't done the best job of making legible exactly what's going on here. So my personal view is um, it's actually going to be a lot more energy efficient to use these digital systems of value transfer over time. Um, but it's understandable that there's a lot of confusion early, especially given the nature of crypto, which is that it's decentralized, so nobody has all the information in some sense. As you said, you know, crypto is the next internet-sized opportunity for the United States. And the big promise of crypto is that it is the next iteration of the internet that could free users from the power and control of the gatekeepers, whether it's the big banks, whether it's Google or Facebook. How long until we get there to that future? that you see? Well, I think in very small ways, we're already there today in the sense that you can own your own global permissionless money um, and you can be your own bank in crypto by simply downloading free desktop software that anybody in the world can run. Uh, I think it will take decades and decades for all of the applications to be built out around that base. So a full-blown financial system, I think, were probably one-tenth of 1% into what that looks like in a crypto-native form. Mainstream applications, I think we're effectively at zero. Um, and that's what we're so excited about at Paradigm is watching that whole space get built out um, and unfurl. So what does that mean for the Googles and the Facebooks? Do they disappear someday? I think this is kind of like e-commerce where, you know, the world doesn't change overnight, but you can see the seeds of exponential growth occurring already. Um, 
So I do, I do think we will live in a future where for us to coordinate, we won't need these centralized platforms. Today, that's already true of uh, financial services in that in crypto, you can be your own bank. You don't need a central institution to hold your money anymore. I think that's true in the web application sense where already today, there are creators who are pushing their work out over crypto rails from their own crypto wallet where the social graph exists directly on chain. You don't need Facebook or Twitter or Instagram um, to have a follower graph. It just all happens right on the blockchain. I think that's where we're headed. We're headed into a world where both users and creators don't need centralized platforms or institutions anymore. Take me out 10, 20, or 50 years. How has crypto changed the world? What's different? <laughs> I think one thing people don't yet fully grasp about crypto is how in a world that is increasingly going digital, your crypto wallet is the entire representation of the digital you. So that means it's your bank account, it's your online identity, it's your universal login to every internet application, it's your digital resume, um, sort of your digital LinkedIn, and all these things are in one place. You can use your real identity, you can use a, a pseudonym, somewhere in between. Um, and I, I think, perhaps said quite simply, the future, I think, will run on crypto rails. And uh, I think it will be sort of the single source of truth and coordination that all systems in the world use today. Well, we'll have to check back in with you in 50 years, but hopefully sooner. Um, Fred, yeah. <laughs> Fred Ersum, co-founder of Coinbase and Paradigm, thank you so much for joining us. It's been wonderful to have you, and thanks for answering these very big picture questions and showing us a view of the future. Pleasure as always. Bloomberg Studio 1.0 is produced and edited by Kevin Hines. Our executive producer is Allison Weiss. Our managing editor is Danielle Culbertson, with production assistance from Lauren Ellis and Mallory Abelhausen. If you like this show, please share it or write a review wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Emily Chang, your host and executive producer. This is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.